0: Was a moment where the dog jumped up to get a sandwich and she went oh no let's <laughs> just say like, oh no you're not having this
1: it was like a really awful boyfriend that turned off yeah,
0: yeah. oh no oh no you don't want my sandwich now
1: hi welcome to walking the dog with emily dean this is episode five and i know i keep saying this but it's so brilliant getting your feedback so please remember to rate and review and subscribe on itunes so this week i went out with the actor john bradley from game of thrones which is back by the way, the new season starts on July the 17th on Sky Atlantic, which is super exciting. So here's the thing, John's a bit scared of dogs. I don't know how he copes with those dire wolves. Anyway, I decided to try a bit of exposure therapy. So I took him out for a walk with my puppy, Raymond, who is a little Shih Tzu. That's not me being horrible about him, that's his breed. So this is Walking the Dog and I'm Emily Dean and I'm here with John Bradley. From Game of Thrones, who you might know better as Samuel Tarly in Game
0: yeah. of Thrones
1: hello, hi, John, and it's like we're in a chat, show, but it's in a it's a massive park' we're in, a ma- yeah we're in Motlo park in Highgate
0: yeah it's gone al fresco it's beautiful here normally i 've heard a couple of these, and normally you go to the places where people live and, and interview them with their dogs yeah i don't live here, yeah, and I've not got a dog <laughs> so so
1: why are you doing this show? Pa- pa- pardon
0: me breaking from the form so dramatically. <laughs> But, yeah, this is, uh, this is your manor, isn't it? This is Highgate. This is your neck of the woods.
1: Yeah, and you're from Manchester. I'm telling you where you're from. Yeah. But you're from Manchester, but I thought it would be really good because I know you've had a few bad run-ins with dogs and I thought you could meet my dog, Ray, who's a Shih Tzu, yeah. and we could take him out because I want you to overcome your fear.
0: Yeah, I must say he's a sweetheart. And I would say that I, I'm not sure that meeting the nicest dog in the world is going to make me get over my problem because the next one I meet... Isn't going to be the nicest dog in the world.
1: <laughs> well, get, what do you want to describe what Ray's like for everyone? Ray? Wait well, is he a shih tzu? Yeah. Ray's is...
0: I saw a couple of photographs of Ray before I met him, but they weren't scale drawings or anything. They weren't to scale. And then I met him and I couldn't believe how small he was. He's absolutely adorable. He's like a slipper that one of those, that one of Reg Varney's conquests would wear to the door and on the buses with a nighty. <laughs> you know, he, he's an adorable, fluffy, he, he, basically, he's everything that I'd ever wanted to meet in a dog <laughs> because he's the only dog in my life I've never felt slightly threatened by.
1: And he's so small and so fluffy and so cute yeah. that he's basically, I would say, the only animals that might be scared of him possibly earwigs. Yeah.
0: Here's a way of uh, distancing myself from millennials. He's got a Jimmy Edwards moustache and Bernard Ingham eyebrows.
1: Even I'm struggling with those <laughs> references, John. You got me. So let's walk up here, past, and you're going to tell me why you're frightened of dogs.
0: I think I remember we used to live in a block of flats until I was about four years old. And in the afternoons, my gran used to come round and look after me. And, you know, we'd we, we'd play games, we'd watch telly and she'd read to me. And then at, at some point in the afternoon, we'd have a walk out to the shops. It's my favourite bit because I got a bag of Roysters out of it usually. And, and we came out of our flat and immediately as you left our flat, there was a flight of stairs going down to the front door of the flats. And there was a truly, I, th- I think by any standards, but if you're three years old, it changes the game completely. By any standards, yeah. there was a terrifying dog at the bottom of the stairs. Who was, who, was, who was snarling up at us and barking really, really loud and basically had something against the idea of us walking down the stairs and going out the door. I don't know what it was, but he just wasn't going to let us pass and he wasn't going to stop barking. As soon as our little faces appeared at the top of the stairs, he'd be off. So we just had to run back inside and we were kind of trapped in the flat all day. We felt a bit like Rapunzel. I think that's where it came from. I mean, it took me a long time to get over it and I'd go around to people's houses where they had dogs and no matter how kind of friendly the dog, I was always... You see, Ray... Ray is quite an easy dog to avoid. All you basically do is lift your foot up six inches and he shoots <laughs> under your foot.
1: So are you feeling less frightened? I mean, in fairness... In, in, in
0: fairness, Ray's a very good one. And I, and I think by exposure therapy, it doesn't pay to be exposed to the most placid of dogs. I'm, yeah. not, really, I'm not really learning anything.
1: But look at those two pugs here. I'm actually going to pick Ray up. Yeah, do. Those dogs look a bit cray cray. Would be. I mean, they look lovely. But they're quite full on. They're really cute, but I just yeah, think they're, they're quite boisterous. Be, yeah.
0: I think that I think that it, with Ray you've got to go a bit Oliver Twist. Ray's a bit Oliver Twist, and you've got to protect him, kind of protect him from all them roustabouts in uh, <laughs> in Fagin's gang and all the other boisterous dogs.
1: <laughs>
0: no, 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 no. Come on, come on
1: see that well what happened there this don't, woman has two pugs and the pugs jumped up and started eating a total stranger's sandwiches sandwiches and what we, i loved about it was that the woman whose sandwiches were being eaten didn't do what i would have done which is say oh don't worry it's no problem she went no 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 yeah.
0: no, no. there was a moment where the dog jumped up to get a sandwich and she went oh no <laughs> I was just say, like, oh no, you're not having this.
1: It was like a really awful boyfriend had turned up. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh no. Oh no, you don't want my sandwich now.
1: So we should say as well. So we've got Ray, just to set the scene. Yeah. And we're in Waterloo Park in Highgate. Beautiful really Waterloo lovely.
0: Park. It's really, really nice.
1: Yeah. And it's 20 acres. And it was one of those places that it was apparently built as a garden for the gardenless. Oh really? Yeah. What a lovely idea. I what think a that's lovely really ch- nice. charitable idea. And we're meant to be walking Ray, but I'm actually holding him like a baby because he's too lazy and he doesn't like it. Well, walking. no,
0: we just got a couple of sandwich-fixated dogs. <laughs> we don't wanna we don't wanna let Ray loose on them.
1: So what do you make of Ray? What's your impression of him? Do you I'm want to such describe a, him? I'm
0: such a fan of Ray. There's something very human about Ray that I think is quite easy to negotiate. Whereas those two louts back there, <laughs> they were. They're what I'd call animals. They're like disgusting animals, hell bent on taking people's lunches right from under their nose. But there's something very human about Ray. And you know, if any animal, you know, decides to walk twenty yards and have a rest, basically, I'm on side.
1: Okay. Well, this but, is all good
0: news. Basically, he's he's well on my way to changing my views on dogs. Having said that, he's a particularly good one. All I'm going to kind of concede is the fact that not all dogs are horrendous. Not all, all men, of,
1: not all dogs?
0: All of them except Ray are, are pretty horrendous.
1: So, so John, talk me through... Well, Ray
0: doesn't like dogs, can we just say at this stage. Ray's firmly on our side, that's what I mean about him being human.
1: When you say our side, I love dogs, which is what I have a dog podcast. Dog oh, yeah, you're right. When, <laughs> when I say
0: Ray's on our side, I meant mine and Ray's side.
1: OK. I like
0: dogs, <laughs> but I'm scared of dogs. and I, And I wish I liked them. I wish I was one of those men who could confidently walk into somebody's house and pick a dog up and, like, wrestle with it and, and stroke it really aggressively. And then instant bond develops between you and the dog. Like, there's a trust there instantly. Yeah. But I, I, I've always gone to do that. Then as soon as he charges towards me, I've bottled it. <laughs> I've always bottled it and just thought, oh, maybe that's not for me. Because I never know... It's the same with horses. It's the same with any animals. You know, when people say, if you get a big old dog, they say, if you're going to stroke it, you're going to have to stroke it really hard. Like really get your fingers in so you can feel it because otherwise they won't feel it. Same with horses. When you make a horse go, you're supposed to kick it. But I just never quite know how to gauge what they mean by firm. And, they, and, and, and I'm stroking it very gingerly with the tips of my fingers and they're going, no, oh, stroke it harder. I'm going a little bit harder. No, harder, you won't be able to feel it. Sorry. Is he all right? Yeah. Oh, was he, has he swallowed something?
1: Ray's eating some, bro- some, I don't know what he's eating, some flowers or something. It was flowers or um, excrement, one of the two. Oh,
0: my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Talking of your autobiography, you're in Game of Thrones, yeah, which is obviously one of the most successful TV shows ever made, and I think it, it sort of happened really suddenly for you, didn't it? You didn't you just yeah. come out of drama school when you got the part? I came out of drama.
0: I, I auditioned when I was still at drama school for the first round, and I was just I, I was just finishing off my final show of the final term, and I got the audition for this thing, and I, and I didn't really get the kind of magnitude of it because I'd I'd never heard of the books at that stage so I didn't really know what kind of big a deal it was all I knew that it was HBO and I associated HBO with kind of very high benchmarks of telly over the last kind of 10 20 years but it wasn't so I knew that it was going to be I knew that it was going to be a thing that, that had a lot of kind of credibility to it but I would. I would have been nervous no matter what it was for, and then, of, and then of course you stopped That woman wasn't talking to us, by the way. What did she say? Get down now.
1: Yeah, she was talking to her.
0: Right, oh, James her... Brown.
1: <laughs> her daughter's. Her her child's on the. Um...
0: Yeah, her child's got the cheek to be on a climbing frame, and she's saying, "Get down." <laughs> That's what it's for.
1: So yeah, so you got the call. So I. I
0: uh, yeah, I, I I got the call, and it, and it's it's this, you know, whenever something happens like that, there's an instant celebration and you think oh fantastic I've got this I've got my first job no matter what happens after this I can say that I'm a working actor for the next few months fantastic really really pleased really kind of celebratory and everybody was getting into it I heard you got this thing tutors you know fantastic and then that, that lasted for a while those those kind of endorphins kicked around for a bit but after a while that settles down and you, you suddenly got the hand on your shoulder that says you've got a job to do now and these people who have cast Sean Bean and Mark Addy and Lena Headey in this show think that you can do this job based on, you know, two, three-minute auditions. And you think you better not let them down.
1: Did you feel a sense of imposter syndrome, which people often say they get, you know, when something incredible like that happens to you, that you feel, actually, should I be... Well, have I got this job?
0: Yeah, I think that I think that that's quite a natural thing to think, just because.
1: Oh, he's got like, some fans. Sorry, John. They're not just no, in the dog. Right. No, <laughs> sorry. He's really cute. He is, isn't he? <laughs> Hello. He's too lazy to walk.
0: Yeah, we've got a show for him around.
1: I'll see if he'll walk. Hang oh, on. So, so you go for. It. You take the dog out for a walk, and you're holding.
0: Yeah, we take the dog out so we can have a walk. (laughs) I need the exercise apparently. (laughs) Oh,
1: Oh. what breed is it? He is a Shih Tzu, Uh, and he's about three months old now. Yeah. Oh, it's really nice to meet you. Thank you. Come on, Ray. So, yeah, so I was going to ask you, John, um, so what was it like your first day on set on Game of Thrones? On set, sorry, your first day on set on Game of Thrones and when you met all your people you were going to be working with? And did you... Um, Was it good fun or were you really scared or...? uh,
0: Literally, my, my one memory of that first day is just how much my ignorance was exposed, I think, because I went to a very... Really good drama school in Manchester that was very... Kind of theatre centric, yeah. so it trained you very, very well for the theatre, but didn't really, didn't really expose you to much kind of camera technique or camera training or anything like that. I think we had three hours camera training in the three years that I was at drama school. It may have changed now, but that was the kind of ratio. And three hours, you know, when you consider that we did three hours training at drama school, and my fourth hour in front of a camera was on uh, Game of Thrones. Yes. Oh, thank you. She only really young. Kind
1: of. Yeah, she's a shih tzu. Yeah. She's three months. He's she, I'm calling her she. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's <laughs> it's a boy. It's a, it's a bloke. Yeah, it's a boy. Oh, okay, I've got two little girls at home, oh. so. I've got two little dashies, so.
0: Oh, nice. Oh. I'm used to saying she. So. Oh, that's fine, right. Oh,
1: gorgeous. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank
0: you. Cheers. Having a dog great for meeting people, but they don't all put a crimp in your anecdotes. <laughs> We were talking, oh, there's a, is that a, we just saw two lads running across the park. Because I'm from Manchester, I'm very sceptical about runners. <laughs> I'm instantly quite suspicious. I think a crime's <laughs> happened. I don't, yes. think, they're, I don't <laughs> think they're running for the health benefits.
1: So tell me, so when you first met Kit, I'm thinking more about the sort of... What was it like meeting everyone and were you nervous and...?
0: Yeah, really nervous, but... but yeah, it was, it was all that thing about feeling like a bit of a fraud. And, yeah, as I was saying on my first day, I just didn't know how a day's filming worked even because I went to this, you know, drama school that was very heavily leaning towards theatrical training. Mm. And when I, when I got the call sheet, for the first call sheet I'd ever got, I saw the scene that we had to do, I read it, I saw that it was maybe two and a half pages. So I thought, oh, we'll, we'll have this done by lunchtime. I thought they'll set four or five cameras up like a studio. That was the only thing I knew about. I knew that in studios, they set cameras up, pointed them a certain way, and then you just did it. That's the that's way I thought, this kind of telly worked. So I was there wondering, what am I gonna do with my afternoon? Mm. And it turns out that we still had not finished the scene after a 15 hour day. Right. It was really? a complete education for me on that first day. Yeah. And, and that's, that's when you start to feel that, oh no, they've backed the wrong horse here.
1: What, with you, you mean? Yeah, because, but do you think he's everyone was feeling like that, presumably? Because had Kit done... Kit had, Kit had done
0: two plays. I should say,
1: in case anyone doesn't watch Game of Thrones, firstly, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and secondly, that's Kit Harington, who plays Jon Snow, who is... Um, how would you describe your, your character as Samwell Tarly and your sort of relationship with him? He's yeah.
0: the... Well, he's the out-and-out dashing male hero. And I'm, I'm the kind of... The trope of the bookish but very loyal best friend and and yeah i i i'd like to think that a kind of real life relationship that was cultivated between me and kit does lend itself to a certain chemistry on screen so, i so think so you
1: two became good friends we came, early on
0: we became good kit. good friends very very early on yeah i think i think that i had to get over manchester working class chips on shoulders i think did you yeah just because I got over that a little bit at university, at at drama school. But you just think, you know, what are we going to talk about? I don't know what to talk about with people from that background.
1: And when you say that background, is he from quite a posh family, Kit? Yeah, I think
0: think his family are actually nobility, I think. Kit may even have a title. So I don't know what people with titles talk about. (laughs) They won't be interested in the stuff that I talk about. But it turns out that I needn't have worried about all that. Because it's mainly people, working-class people. Uh, you, would you
1: describe ha- yourself as working-class?
0: Yeah, definitely. My mum hasn't worked for a long time because she's been quite ill. She's been on kind of disability things for a while. And my dad works at...
1: I think we should take that of... pick Ray up, just because there's a big dog no, not on a, the lead. There's
0: a right bruiser coming up here.
1: <laughs> He's the sort of... Um... What would you describe him as? He's Tom Hardy of dogs. Yeah, know. he is. He's more the Brian Blessed of dogs.
0: He is. He's, He's exactly huge. the same colour as the sofas they used to give away on Bullseye.
1: <laughs> He's a huge He's that dog.
0: kind of 80s couch brown. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, sorry, you were saying your mum hasn't been well. Yeah, worried.
0: my mum's my had really bad arthritis for a while and she's found, you know, getting about quite difficult. My dad still works. My dad works at kind of flight services at the airport, so okay. catering for flights and stuff. Yeah, a really kind of working-class background on, a, on an estate called Withenshaw in, uh, in Manchester. Manchester, which, at the time it was built, it was the biggest council estate in Europe, I think. Mm. And uh, I, think it's been, I think it's been knocked off the top spot by somewhere else now, which has infuriated the locals.
1: And do you think... And so when you first... We're doing sort of scenes together and stuff. Yeah. I think that's almost a bit. Do you think it's a bit like they call it sort of trenches, those relationships that you make? <laughs> yeah, in that's the a army really good point. And I
0: think that. I think that the. Regardless of class or yeah. background or anything like that. I think the friendships that you make with people when you're both scared and uncertain and, and, you know, you adopt roles where you can be kind of pillars for each other to cling on to. I think they're the friendships that last because that's when you see people at their most vulnerable yeah i think and and it and it it worked it worked very quickly because there's a scene in that first episode that i'm in where john and sam are cleaning tables and they talk about girls so there was that scene that was a really nice scene between two people and that came much later in the production that that wasn't in the first draft of that episode they wrote that episode and gave us a script and then as they noticed how kit and myself were getting on Mm. and the chemistry that was emerging they gave us this extra scene to do which doesn't really add anything to the plot Mm. but it does really cement their relationship. It's a really nice scene for them too as they start to explore each other Um, and they start to establish common ground and it was nice that they had sufficient faith in the chemistry between me and Kit as friends first and then actors second. They thought that just seeing two people talking in in the middle of all the action. So many scenes in Game of Thrones happen with just two people talking. People remember the big, epic-scale battles and things.
1: And, and did you, presumably, you had some kind of laughs as well when you were on set? Did you?
0: Yeah, that's I mean, bonding as well. Stuff that stuff that has become has identified itself as a laugh since. <laughs> like I mean. What? Well, there was once There's in the Castle Black set. There's a. There is, because, of course, for for the uninitiated, Castle Black uh, houses the Night's Watch, who who was supposed to protect the west of... the. the, Oh, funny tongue twister coming up. The rest of Westeros from the... Yeah, I see your role
1: as, you know, like in those really expensive um, private estates, there are always security vans patrolling around. exactly that. You're like the fantasy world version of those. Yeah,
0: exactly, just... Just designed to keep unsavouries out. Yeah. And so our set is located at the wall.
1: John, sorry, the cutest dog in the world. A little white, it looks like a Maltese. And him and Ray are just getting to know each other, aren't
0: they? They're really getting, yeah. He's, oh, Ray's not letting him walk. Oh, hang on a minute. Oh, he's all gone sour.
1: <laughs> Ray looks really sad to have lost him. He wasn't quick enough, was he? And the Maltese has now cocked his leg as a final insult. As a
0: final insult, yeah. Come on, man. And he's off.
1: Plenty more fish in the sea, and that's what I think you're going to end up with at your size. <laughs> oh. So
0: go on. Yeah, so Castle Black, our location, is at the wall. And to get from Castle Black to the top of the wall, in the logic of the show, there's a lift. Now, now the wall's about 700 feet high. In the set, because the first 100 feet of the wall is like real stone quarry face... Hmm. There's an actual genuine working lift that takes actors up a certain height and then they come back down and it's as if they've come from the top of the wall. And one day the lift got stuck. <laughs> the lift got stuck with me and Kit inside, about 100 feet in the air. Just because just because you're filming Game of Thrones doesn't make the experience of getting stuck in a lift any less traumatic, really. And, and the, the thing about it was, we were up there 100 feet in the air thinking... You know, basically giggling about it, thinking oh, about <laughs> the scrapes we get into. Oh, the scrapes we get into. What about yeah, this is, this is, this is an anecdote. This is going <laughs> to be like the way its happen. And we're nudging each other and then kind of making little jokes. Then we look down through the floor of the lift, because the floor of the lift was just like a cage. Yeah, there was no wood. You could see through the floor of the lift to see every single crew member standing in the courtyard looking up at us, absolutely terrified. <laughs> absolutely oh. terrified and, and they were looking at us thinking we can't
1: what can we do we've
0: shot far too much <laughs> to replace these now it's gonna cost us a fortune <laughs> if 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 that lift drops on the bottom of the lift drops out it's a hefty insurance payout but the thing is that we, we were having such a laugh about it until we saw how terrified everybody else was we were looking out onto the courtyard and then we just suddenly of all the things you want to see at that moment we saw the set medic come into the courtyard and kind of wend our way through the crowd to the front. <laughs> oh, no. We thought, oh no, I reckon we're in slightly more trouble here than we thought we were 10 seconds ago. Sometimes, no matter how unique your circumstances, kind of mundanity can yeah, really come yeah, in the room. Yeah. It's like you know, the lift gets stuck. It's where Game of Thrones meets only fools and horses.
1: So, you live in Manchester? Manchester, still, but yeah. Presumably, so your life has changed. Like, in what ways? Your life has changed a lot. Like Presumably you get a lot better class of airline seat now, I presume.
0: The fact is that people, people come up to you and say, oh, Game of Thrones must have completely changed your life. And you think, well, not really, because that, that kind of implies that a life that I wanted to be completely changed before Game of Thrones, and right. I didn't really. There's, there's a lot about my life that I really liked, and I've managed to keep hold of a lot of that. I just thought I thought first class was you got a little bit more legroom and you maybe could get an extra bag of peanuts if there was any spare if yeah. you asked nicely. The first time I went first class was one of the most memorable experiences of my life. Yes, because I was going first class, but also I remember this so vividly. It's like a film that I can play in my mind.
1: And where were you going? Were you going? Over I was going to, to
0: uh, LA and then San Diego for the first Comic Con I did.
1: First Game of Thrones? Yeah, yeah. for t- 2013. So paying, thank you very much.
0: It's were pain. yeah, thank you very much. Draining every last drop out of it, yeah. Manchester style. I was on my own in, in the first-class compartment and I said, I, it looks like I've got first-class all to myself. What could be better than that? Well, I'll tell you what could be better than that. What actually happened next? <laughs> I was sat there reading or something. Uh, a figure passed me walking down the aisle. He turned this man to put something in the overhead locker, and it was—it was literally a cinematic tilt up. I started at his feet. Tattooed arms came into the equation, <laughs> and he was wearing—he was wearing quite a fitted white t-shirt, so I could see that he was. You know that thing where you can tell somebody is somebody before yes. you know they are. Yeah. Like I could tell that this man was somebody. So I went up his body, a bit, bit of tattoo poking out the neck of his t-shirt. Yeah bang up to the face, lock onto the face, and it was David Beckham. Oh, wow. I couldn't, I just couldn't (laughs) believe it. (laughs) And how
1: long's the flight?
0: It's about 11 hours.
1: Right, so it's just him?
0: The entire family were there. (gasps) He was there and Victoria were there and all the kids were there.
1: You've got all of them?
0: Yeah, and yeah, all of them, all of them all in one place.
1: So what I like is that you've gone into such forensic detail of what David Beckham was wearing. Oh. Was it was be a white T-shirt when Victoria Beckham was sitting there. Oh, yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> I know. I, I, to be fair, I only noticed her later mm. because, because I just couldn't take my eyes off him.
1: Because you're a Man United a fan. A
0: huge right? Man United fan and also and- a Man United <laughs> fan when he was at the very peak of his powers as well kind so of late ha- and 90s so and early happened? 2000s. And so I just thought, I felt like, I really did feel like a kind of man on the inside. Turns out I, I was the only person in the, comp- in the cabin that wasn't part of that group.
1: Right.
0: So I thought, oh, God, what <laughs> happens now? And, and I was reading an NME special about the Stone Roses, I remember, yeah. that. I was reading that. And I know that David's a fan of the Stone Roses. So I was kind of reading it at a strange angle, kind of opening it <laughs> opening it in his direction so he could see what I was reading, hoping he'd say, can I bother to lend you a magazine? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Also praying deep down that, yeah. he wa- that he watched Game of Thrones, but, you know, I think he does now. I'm not sure he did <gasps> then.
1: Oh, I hope he does. Yeah. Do you'll hear this.
0: So anyway, he, so, so they all settled down. And I was just thinking, if you told me when I was 10 years old that I would be...
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Two, two
0: feet away from my hero, oh, you know, in, in however many years' time. I just wouldn't have been able to believe it. Yeah. And when you experience people who have, who have huge public profiles, when you have the privilege of experiencing them de- kind of domesticated, if you know what I mean.
1: Okay, yeah. You
0: see them in a very, you're in a very, very privileged position where you actually don't see them how the world sees them. Because mm. he's not going to put on a show for me for one person, he's in his family. I'm, I'm kind of an interloper into yeah. that family. And, you, and, and you, you just get slightly more of a, a measure of them. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I was so bowled over by him as a dad.
1: Why, what was he like? There was a girl. Oh, Harper, Harper. a little girl, yeah. He was
0: probably about
1: Yeah, She's three a girl. Then. yeah, okay.
0: She was being a little bit um, restless. OK. You know I mean. just, just a little bit restless. Well, just, I'd
1: be restless if I was there with David Beckham. I was the
0: one getting restless. <laughs> and there was a moment where he was tr- he was trying to pacify and he her and he had her on his knee. Mm. And he was saying, no, be good. No, 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 you, you're really going to have to be good now. You're going to have to be good. We're going to take off in a minute. And it wasn't really working. Mm. And then I heard him say, no, you're going to have to be good. Otherwise, the man will come and tell you to get off. <laughs> I, I felt like saying, you know, David you're the man. (laughs) How can David Beck, when are you not the man? And and what I liked about that was that's exactly the same tactic that my dad used on me. This mythical figure of the man, he's going to come storming down the plane and and bust a few heads. No matter how global he is, Mm. he doesn't have as much respect in that family as some mythical man who works for British Airways. (laughs) Like he could go up in my estimation anymore. I just saw him as a dad and not a global icon and he's a brilliant dad and a very nice man i
1: think that's the thing is when you see someone off duty yeah and i think when you're aware that there's a kind of an i'm really sorry about ray it's like going out with someone who smokes 40 a day because (laughs) he just stopped and tried to eat a cigarette and and now now he he smells
0: of fags
1: smell him he smells of fags oh
0: my god he really does <laughs> that's
1: horrible it's like going mickey rourke or something <laughs> that's such a lovely story john because i love things like that and i think you're right and i think seeing people as they are when yeah. they're not kind of on display like that and just getting an insight into them as real people yeah you realize that's what they are that's who they are because
0: i because i think that that's uh that's a mistake not a mistake but that's a confusion that a lot of people have and i remember my dad when I, when I first started to act and stuff, I, I think that when I went to drama school, my dad expected me to come out speaking like Eddie Redmayne mm. or something. He expected me to be quite posh when I came out of drama school. And he was confused as to why I wasn't, like why I was still basically me. Yeah. And, and he used to say things like, do you know that, that Ian McKellen? I go, yes, had. He said, you know what, in real life, he's really interesting. Like, in real life, he, like, tells a story. He's just got a voice you want to listen to for hours. So I thought, where have you encountered Ian McKellen in real life? Yeah. He said, oh, I saw him on Parky.
1: Right. I
0: was thinking, that's not real life, Dad. The, the difference between being on display at all and not being on display at all... Yes. Just because you're not acting doesn't mean that you're not putting on some kind of performance. For example, yeah. I found myself for a while when I met people especially when you when you're associated with one character especially if that character's an extreme mm. like Sam's kind of extremely nice yeah you find yourself going around being quite surly with people, people just to sometimes. show that you've got some range yeah.
1: <laughs> do you <laughs> think that because i think your character sam yeah is a ver- is if anyone again doesn't watch game of thrones he's very nice he's a very good person he's yeah. kind he's does that feel like a bit of an albatross around your neck sometimes yeah
0: it really does i th- i think that people People see you and, and, and they associate you with that, and th- and therefore they think that makes you more accessible to them.
1: I didn't mean that in a way. No no, 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 I know. I just what I mean, I suppose, by that is it's a bit like you know, David Tennant when he was Doctor Who. I remember he always used to say, Yeah, when you have an encounter with someone, when you're playing a character, yeah, a huge kind of iconic character like that, if you have an encounter with someone and you're too busy to have a photo taken or you can't get yeah. in the time then that's ruining the character for them. Oh yeah. So there's more of a sense of responsibility when you're playing, in a way, a, like a, a character in Game of Thrones. Yeah, if somebody mm.
0: says to me, you're exactly like your character, what they mean by that is you seem very nice in person. Yeah. But what I take that to mean is... You've got no skill as an actor. Oh,
1: John!
0: I take that to mean as you you play you just play yourself in that, don't
1: you? The, gla- the glass isn't half full, is it? John? T- Someone stole it.
0: I take I take that as cr- criticism <laughs> on some strange delicate ego level. I say no, it's, no, it's acting. Thank you very so,
1: much. So oh, you you don't drink, do you? No, I don't. And why is that? Um,
0: it's it's a lot of things. The most immediate reason that I don't drink is that I I really don't like the taste of any of it. Okay. At all, and I think. But I,
1: I never buy that because no one likes to the taste.
0: There's been a, a lot of drink in my family, in my dad's side, before I was born, and his dad drank. My dad stopped drinking because I was born, mm. and my dad told me a story that when he was at a very low ebb with his drinking, I don't know how religious he was at the time, but he prayed for a girlfriend and a son when he was at a really low ebb, and he said, if I have a girlfriend and a son, I'd be able to sort myself out and I'll never be the same again. Wow. I'll never be the same again. And I was born about 18 months later and he met my mom. Now, I'm not saying that that's evidence of anything, cos it really isn't, mm-hmm. but the story is true. And so... It's difficult to believe that people have the kind of self, self-esteem issues that I've had in my life, when they're brought up to believe that they're basically a direct gift from the <laughs> Almighty. And that was something that, that made me feel very special. So, so I when he I,
1: had you, he never drank after that?
0: Once or twice.
1: And was he an alcoholic, your dad?
0: I think he probably was. But that's kind of... He's it's, it's almost helped, in a way, the fact that he now knows if he was to drink again yeah it would be the the start of a very steep kind of downward spiral yeah so he just doesn't touch it at all and he doesn't he doesn't miss it at all and i think he just thinks that it was it was a lot of a, a lot of wasted time so I mean, would
1: you ever drink no 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 i i is that I, it for life now
0: yeah i think so i don't think that i've i don't think that i've missed out on anything in fact i've i I, and also, I'm lucky to have a group of friends that don't really need it to... They don't need a kind of ke- a chemical boost for atmosphere. You know what I mean? They all seem to be really nice. And, uh, no, what not, about not, the game my,
1: of phones lot? Do they drink?
0: Yeah, they do. They do drink socially. And, and I've, I've found my place in that, really. I found my place and now they just don't bother asking me anymore. They don't say anymore, but, but But, you know, saying that you don't like the taste of it is quite a handy way of getting out of any further questions. Because, <laughs> yeah. because they say, you well, know... Well, that's
1: why I picked you up on it. Yeah. Because I know when people say, oh, I don't like the taste of it, I always think, well, no-one likes the taste of alcohol. Yeah. No-one likes the taste of cigarettes. I mean, yeah. I'm not advocating. I'm not saying, come on, you, you need to get over <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason, we do push... the hell on through because you want to be cool, you want to fit in. And I think that's interesting. I think people that reach, you know, you're, what, 28? Yeah. And I think people that reach this point in life and do it in a very sociable job, in a very kind of cool show, where you're socialising, you're a member of Soho House, all that stuff that goes hand in hand with drinking and socialising... It takes a strength of character, I think, to say, no, Yeah. I don't mind if people say I'm on cool and square because I'm just having a diet coat. Well, that's, that's, that's
0: genuine, genuine rebellion now, mm. to not do that. It's the same way that, you know, f- kind of 50 years ago, if you had a tattoo, you were seen as somebody who's saying, right, I n- I'm never gonna be a part of society. I'm marking myself out as somebody who doesn't subscribe to society and I'm going to wear that as a badge of honour. Now, my, one of my best friends, he's a... I think he's a rep for a cleaning chemicals company or something, Ma- yeah. married with, yeah. a, with, a, with, a, with a young wife and a mortgage. He's got two tattoo sleeves. And you think, you're about as far away from a kind of alternative lifestyle as you can imagine
1: well tattoos are about as alternative as beards now yeah exactly i say uh, now i feel really bad because you have a beard hipster beard. but in fairness yours isn't a hipster beard it's a it's a fantasy beard
0: oh well thanks very much (laughs) very kind of easy to say
1: uh (laughs) i uh i yeah but but
0: that's the thing what what was seen to be accoutrements of of the rebellious it's become so mainstream that genuine rebels find it hard to find a way of rebelling (laughs) And my way of rebelling is to drink Diet Coke and go home at ten. Because I, yeah. because I think the expectation of you to stay out until three o'clock drinking what's that thing called Lafroig, whatever it's called. I just think that, that the pressure on you to do that and to live that lifestyle becomes so part of the mainstream. And I've seen people drinking whiskey. And every time I drink, I've tasted whiskey, it's like the reaction that you get when you taste whiskey when you were about four—I mean, <laughs> when you just can't believe how anybody can well, possibly that's drink that because it is that.
1: like you drinking it at four, I yeah. guess, isn't it? Yeah, my—I've so,
0: got a very immature mouth.
1: It's an interesting kind of fame you've got, isn't it? Because on the one hand, yeah, you've got—you can sort of walk down the street, yeah, without being completely hassled,
0: yeah—but
1: then. Barack Obama knows who you are, because yeah. he watches the show, doesn't he? That's
0: really weird. It's, it does seem to be... That's, that, that is the flattering thing, though, when you think about it, the fact that, you know, uh, Mr. Obama watches it and I got invited I to... I like
1: how respectful you are, Mr. Obama. Well, I was supposed to call him. <laughs> Barack? I, I can't call him He's such a casual he yeah, was. Yeah, no, he was. He's a Barack, isn't he?
0: Yes, no, he is. Mr. Yeah. Obama. Mr. B.
1: Mr. Obama. And Mr. B- did did um, Mr. B. David
0: Cameron watched it? David Cameron watched it. A few of us got invited to a reception at number 10 a couple of years ago. Oh,
1: I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> <laughs> How but was that, going that to was, number 10?
0: It was, it, was, it, was, it was another one of those moments that you think, you know, shouldn't really be happening or can't really be happening. I, I didn't go to drama school. And then say, why do you, when in the enrolment, they say, why do you want to come to drama school? And I say, I want to be inside number 10 in five years. So it's who not,
1: was there? It
0: was, uh, well, some very exciting people for me because of my, my kind of cultural references. I, don't, I, I very rarely get excited when I go to Comic-Con and Tom Cruise is there. I got excited because Ronnie Corbett was there. You know when a face comes out of your childhood... Yeah. And you suddenly think, encounter them in reality... I couldn't quite believe it. It was another David Beckham moment, really. <laughs> but David Beckham and Ronnie oh, Corbett lovely. are my two, are my two well, poster boys. Well, it's interesting, because I
1: suppose your sister's a lot older, isn't she? So Yeah, my sister's 13 pol- years older yeah. than me. Yeah, so it's almost like I think you have a lot of the cultural reference points of a Generation X... Yeah, I think so, too. ..rather than a millennial.
0: But I, th- I think that, that also is a result of staying in a lot. My sister, I talk about stuff from my sister's generation that she doesn't understand because you were never in. It's nice the way it's worked out though, because you'd think that because there's that gap between me and my sister that I've kind of been conned out of having a sibling. But luckily enough, you know, my nephew's only four years younger than I am, which means that I've kind of got a sibling role, but from right. a slightly kind of convoluted way around. So we're so close, we're as close as brothers are, I think.
1: Some people say that when you become famous... Yeah. ..it's not you that changes, it's the people around you. Do you think anyone is different with you?
0: It's weird, it's weird, that. Because I I think that 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 works for people who are slightly more casual acquaintances. Okay, yeah. Like, casual acquaintances will text you for the first time in years and say, how are you doing, would you like a drink? I watch your show and I really like it. Right. With my closest friends, or my closest friends from... kind of pre-Game of Thrones. I genuinely think, this may be unfair, but I genuinely think that they're trying so hard not to change. Yeah. That it's actually becoming really quite stubborn and dark. What do you mean? mean? Because, well, this is the thing that I have people from high school that I've not spoken to getting in touch and saying, I really like the show, congratulations, you know, blah, blah, blah. Three of my best, best friends from childhood and uni, I've never seen an episode of it. And I've pretended for years that it's fine. But I just, I am a little bit hurt by it. They, I I think that they don't want to watch it because then they'll like it and then they think that that'll make them one of those people. As in a
1: kind of false new friend? Yeah, as in
0: people who turn up and just want to talk about that. And, And they come up, it's the excuses. I mean, they come up with excuses like... I was enjoying it, and then you came on and ruined it.
1: Is that what they say to you?
0: And I, I, I go, what do you mean? Well, they say, well, they don't don't take offence. I went, well, you know, uh, if I do take offence, it'll be on my terms. And then they go, they go, no, no, you ruin it because I'm really I've really bought into it, and then you come on and you take me out of it. Right. But like you destroy it, and I think oh, come off it. I, I don't believe it. It sounds like an actor making up excuses for why he's not learnt his
1: lines. But do you think, (laughs) actually, John, thinking about that, I, I can sort of see from the outside that that is perhaps perhaps, yeah. that is them just, as you say, trying to almost oddly reassure you that we're not interested in that, we don't care that you're an actor, we don't buy into that. And I appreciate that yeah. it might, it's a very convoluted way of essentially saying we like the real you. Yeah, and no, I
0: guess so. I've always been so cool about it and I've always said, no, it's fine, don't worry about it. Don't... I think he shows a lack of faith in me mm. that, I, that they think I'll change if suddenly they start to say they like what I do. Trust me to know the difference between you and Johnny-come-latelys.
1: Ray's met a little dog. It looks like a Jack Russell, maybe? Little Jack Russell. And this is what happens to Ray. Have you noticed? Yeah. It's a pattern.
0: Well, I think he seems very keen. Mm. And then when they go, he gets over it alarmingly quickly. (laughs) He seems to oh, recover. You're like me, Ray. He seems to recover alarmingly <laughs> quickly.
1: Um, John, tell me about what you were like as a little boy.
0: I knew that I wanted to be a performer before I really knew that it was a job, mm. because because we weren't from a very kind of we, we were from quite I'm from quite a low brow family really. We didn't go to the theatre really. We didn't even watch dramas on telly. Mm. We watched comedies mainly like sitcoms and so I, re- I remember watching things like Faulty Towers and they made me feel so happy that I thought I want to do whatever that guy is doing whatever that is just
1: performing whatever, yeah. whatever
0: that's called yeah. I want to do that and I want to make people feel the way he's making me feel
1: mm. but, and so were you sort of putting on shows and you know were you an
0: extrovert and- well I, I used to, I used to try and surprise them. I'd go out into the hall like I was just going for a drink or something, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: and then apparently, I say apparently, I remember this. <laughs> I used to come back in in like my mum, like a costume that I'd made for myself. <laughs>
1: what was the costume? Like one of
0: my mum's coats and like and like and, and and her, but basically my mum's clothes. Basically, now I think about it, I just used to dress up in my mum's clothes. It was never any of my dad's clothes. I, I used to dress up and come in, and, and, and I, used to, I used to say to them, I used to be in the hall and I used to say, can you announce me? So I'd want them to say, ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome John? And then, I, and then I'd burst in like I was coming on stage and I'd stand there and I'd soak up the applause and then I'd have nothing. I'd have nothing to so say. Your
1: act was opening a door. It's
0: not like that I came in and did a, a show. I just wanted the the adulation of the entrance.
1: But what I like as well is that you've given yourself a stage name, like Madonna, which is a one word stage oh, yeah, name. But it's I know. John. I know. It's not unusual. <laughs> it's John. I know. Who yeah. Are you enter, oh, Madonna, Sia,
0: John. <laughs> yeah. But, but never did I think, and even when I was at drama school, Doing plays and things, I never thought that I'd be doing quite serious drama on screen. I and you're thought, a
1: drummer, aren't you, as well? Yeah. Which. You were on which, Bring the Noise. I wasn't doing bring the your noise. drumming.
0: Yeah, I. That was one thing that I wanted to keep not a secret. Oh, sorry. But but I was quite... No, 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 not going on Bring the Noise. I was going to say, Don't bring up Bring the Noise. I, uh, for heaven's sake. Yeah, the drumming was something that I just wanted to keep to myself. I I didn't want it to be part of my CV. I didn't really want to open it up. And and, and I think it was because I I just wanted to keep some things that were quite... that I, I had quite a pure connection with.
1: Right, Okay. And
0: drumming's one of them because
1: I do think... You didn't want to go on to the, you know, celebrity stars in their eyes as Phil Collins. No,
0: exactly that. <laughs> exactly Just that kind of thing. Or people...
1: In our... the air tonight. <laughs> because whenever anyone does anything Phil Collins, they only do in the air That's tonight. what I did
0: on Bring the Noise. That's not fair. That's not It true. was, yeah. Oh, no,
1: how <laughs> embarrassing.
0: It's what I did on Bring the Noise, yeah. You don't want to be doing something like in the air tonight on a TV <laughs> programme. Who on earth would want to be doing something like that?
1: I've really put my foot on it. I'm so sorry. Oh, right.
0: But I do like to keep some things very that are quite close to me, and drumming's a bit like that as well. Drumming's not like playing the guitar, where it's a kind of academic thing,
1: where right. you can read
0: books about it and practice your scales. So drumming
1: is just a really instinctive. It's thing, a very isn't it?
0: instinctive thing, and, yeah. it's a, and it's a very physical thing.
1: So, t- so talk me through it. You've got season seven of Game of Thrones. Season
0: seven's on in a few months. Yeah, later than usual.
1: And have you got quite a big? You've got a big part in this one. I can't... Well, I can't... You can't say, I guess.
0: I can't really say so much, but I think that... I think that The thing about Sam is, you know, if he's still around at this stage, you do suspect that there is going to be a point to keeping him around. <gasps> you know what I mean?
1: I see... I'm taking that as a spoiler alert. No!
0: <laughs> don't take that as a spoiler alert. Don't take that as anything. This is the glory of it. I don't know. Jim
1: Broadbent's in this. He too, is in this isn't isn't one,
0: yeah. And that's a huge compliment and, and, and a huge testament to the reach of the show and how proper actors are taking it seriously as an acting job, which can be quite difficult for yeah. fantasy things to be taken seriously as drama. And, and, I, and I think since day one, Game of Thrones has shown that you, know, you can do drama in the fantasy genre that's actually very serious psychological drama.
1: You've got one more series then after this, and then is that it for good, Game of Thrones? I think so. So how do you feel about that? Are you nervous? So
0: it's... It is coming... It's going to come to an end. And I think that would be easier for actors that had had huge careers...
1: Yeah.
0: ..or just done anything else of note, really, than arrived at Game of Thrones as part of their career, because there's a before and there's yeah. an after.
1: Yeah. But for me, there's... Yeah, so if you're Charles Dance, yeah. this was one stop-off in a long career. In a long career.
0: But for me, there's no before. I've never been a professional actor and not been in Game of Thrones.
1: It's exciting, though, right? It is exciting. Should we sit on this bench, John? Yeah. So, before we finish, John, I wanted to, in the interest of full disclosure, I didn't bring this up earlier because I didn't want the whole podcast to be about this. Yeah. But I thought we should just chat a bit about how you and I... Well, you and I used to date, didn't we? Yeah, we we did. Yeah. Oh, that was you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, we did and we're really good friends now, and yeah. I wanted to just sort of talk about that because we split up a couple of years ago, yeah, and when we went out, there was a big age gap there still is, and it's one of those weird things where we ended on really good terms and yeah
0: you know it's nice to know that it can be like this and I think and I think that when we when we were going out together and and you know immediately after we knew that we wanted to be part of each other's lives mm. and be friends and and you know we there was never there was never it was it was a very short not very short relationship but a very kind of intensive That's relationship it was quite short
1: but but you know what i think john for me anyway i remember reading alan de botton oh, yeah. on this because i love him as yeah. you know yeah and he once said something he was talking about he says you can't be friends with exes he says it's a really bad idea right. and the reason for that is that it, you know, you're basically you're not acquiring a friend, you're acquiring a torturer. Um, and what's interesting is I sort of agree with him, but I think in everyone's life that's true, but there's normally one exception. Yeah. And I think you're my exception. But I think in the, certainly in the case of us, I fear I felt yeah we've really managed to make it work, haven't we? And for yeah. me, it was because. I think in the aftermath of the breakup you behaved so classily like you went off social media and you just yeah, really kept did. your head down. I just think
0: that because because I I've, I've never I've never made any bones about or any excuses for the fact that it was my fault. Mm. It was completely my fault and I think if it's your fault you have to demonstrate that you've that you're atoning for it. We had, you know, discussions about it, and a lot of people try and wriggle out of guilt, but I really put myself through the ringer with guilt. Into... <laughs> Good.
1: No, no, I did. How it... brilliant to hear. But I
0: think, I, 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 think, <laughs> I, I think it was quite a cleansing... You know what
1: I love? The producers are looking so awkward now. <laughs> One has got his head in his hands, virtually, <laughs> and the other just can't even maintain eye contact. Sitting here with two people talking about why they broke up. Yeah. But you know, I like that.
0: But it, but but it's it's. I think that I found that quite a cleansing thing, and I've always reacted to guilt like that. I believe in, I believe in suffering. <laughs> I really I do. I, and I was going up to people who, and and, and explaining everything, and and then then they being friends, they went, yeah, well maybe. I was like, no 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 maybe about it. I've been despicable,
1: and 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 as a we result not that bad well no but, but it was I've had people do much worse to me and not, and not even apologize well you know i remember when we were dating it was interesting insight to me as well about millennials get a really bad press yeah and i'm glad i dated a millennial because that made me realize how much i like them and how i think interestingly when we were going out there was an age gap yeah. and, and there still is that hasn't changed <laughs> but there was an age gap and i was aware that what was weird is that not my close circle of friends, because yeah. they are all great, but when we would go to events, we went to the BAFTAs once. We yeah. sat on this table with these people from the Radio Times who were very nice, but there were some people there and they were all kind of middle-aged. They are all in their four seasonings. And all of them were quite suspicious and a bit, where did you meet? Why are you two yeah. together? I felt they were sort of suggesting that I was with you because you were on telly and, and it was just a bit odd. Yeah. What's weird is your friends, like Kit Harrington oh, yeah. and... Gwen, your friend, and all of your Game of Thrones friend were just so lovely, and it, it was not an issue our age, which I thought was interesting.
0: No, it wasn't an issue, and I, I, and I do think that 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 comes from a certain confidence that millennials have. They just don't question, and they're so they're so accepting of stuff, and they believe in people, right? And and they believe that people don't have quite as much subtext and ulterior motives, and. I think, I, I think that they... And also, I think that they were just very happy for me as well. Because they could tell by the way I was talking about you that I was happy. And they knew that happiness for me then was a kind of quite a hard thing to come by at the time.
1: Do you think also it's because they maybe view relationships in a slightly different way? So they view relationships, they're much more open-minded. Definitely. I don't want to be slagging off Generation Xs and Baby Boomers because I'm one of you and I love you and I suspect you've got dogs and you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> so I don't want to alienate you, point one. And also, but I think what, it's, what it is to do with is just... It was just nice for me to, to feel... There were different reactions, but I think, you, you know, sometimes people react to you and... It was surprising to me, yeah. just the different sort of reactions that we had. But, you know, look, the important thing is I'm just so happy that we've managed to stay... But it was, nice,
0: it was nice to say to those people... It was nice that when those people were asking that question about us, those people at the BAFTAs, that we were able to, you know, answer them honestly.
1: Well, I seem to remember we just got a cab and left because yeah, we he found them really irritating. Yeah, we
0: did, but, but, that's, but that, but that, that comes from a security of... Because we knew the reasons why we were together, we didn't have to prove it to anybody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. If there was any kind of... If there was any kind of strangeness going on, you feel the need to explain yourself away but because we knew that we were together for the for as right a reason as you can ever be with someone yeah we just felt that we you know we we knew the truth and so we didn't really care about anybody else
1: well i see it as one of those lovely things that Kate, like i say it's very rare and i think it's very it's quite unusual to stay friends with an ex yeah just because i'm not sure you should return to the crime scene But I think it's an example, for me anyway, of how if things are handled really well, it's possible.
0: Yeah, definitely. If, if that, you know, well, the thing that helped, I think was, was we had a period of time after where there was no kind of contact at all. And I think that's a great thing to do. I, I think that it'd be quite tempting for me as the guilty party to keep sending emails and, and trying to phone you up and check in to see how you are and seeing what the lay of the land is. But I just thought, no, she's, M, M's gonna be angry and she's got the right to be angry. And because it was my fault, I have surrendered my right to have any influence about how this works out. I've given, I, 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 the ball is completely in her court and I have to respect any way that she wants to react. You know, you either have the rights to the story or you don't and the, and the injured party always has the rights to the story. And has the right to work out how it carries on in the future, and I think that was.
1: Well, I'm glad I've got the rights to the story because I'm planning on writing a movie, oh, no. and HBO are interested. Oh. Are you up for it? well play myself as as self. As himself, Don Bradley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you think? I I I like
0: it. Can I have, can I can I have editorial on it? You haven't seen the script yet. <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed Walking the Dog. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Otherwise, no treats for you.